going to ask you this morning to open your Bibles and to turn to the epistle of John, and we are in the fourth chapter of the epistle of John, and we're going to be concluding this amazing epistle of John today. We have seen over the last few weeks, and we have been talking about that amazing agape love of God um, that the apostle John uses to describe the love of God. You know, the apostle John called himself the apostle whom the Lord loved, and it wasn't because he thought higher of himself than all the others. Actually, it was due to something that, that he experienced in his life. And that was he couldn't get past the love of God. He couldn't get past the love that Christ had um, demonstrated toward him. And I know, I know the feeling because many times I myself, you've heard me say this time and time again, that I can't get past grace. It doesn't mean that I don't understand theologically what grace is, but rather it is, it is the whole aspect of how, how could grace, how could Christ come to die for sinners and particularly me? And many times we need to understand, we need to get past the doctrinal implication of things like the love of God and get it to the practical reality that it deserves in our life. And this love is contained, this practicality is contained in doing when we serve when we obey, when we live in obedience to the Word of God. I want to, today, we're going we're gonna to do kind of a cursory review of chapter 4, but we're going to complete chapter 4 today. But I just want to focus on, particularly, this, this final segment of this agape love of God and the emphasis that John places on this throughout this chapter. So, so follow with me. We're going to, you know, kind of go high level, but just continue to follow with me. Let's take a look, first of all, at the emphasis that John places. Take a look. Verse 7, John says, everyone who loves is from God and is born of God. Now, I want you to know that every time love is mentioned, it is the agape form of, of the love of God, right? The agape love of God, the preferential love of God, the, the God's choosing to love, right? This is a love of sacrifice. This is a love of doing. Look at verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. Verse 9. The love of God was manifested in believers in that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. That love was manifested in Christ. Look at verse 10. True love is that God loved us. That's true love, that God loved us. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sin. He sent his son to satisfy the justice of God. Christ satisfied the justice of God in the place of the believer. Look at verse 11. Because God loved us, what does he say? We ought to love one another. We need to be compelled to love one another. Look at verse 12. If we love one another, and that's believers, right? If we love one another, God abides in us. 
Look at verse 15. Whoever confesses, and that word means to say the same thing about. It's an agreement. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Look at verse 16. The one who abides in love abides in God. Look at verse 17. The love of God gives us confidence in the day of judgment. Look at verse 18. Perfect love casts out fear. Look at verse 19. We love because he loved us first. And look at verse 20. The one who hates his brother does not know God, does not know the love of God. And lastly, verse 21. The one who loves God loves his brother. Do you get a general sense that John is trying to emphasize this whole issue of agape love within the church? I got a little dumb moment there, right? I think it's pretty explicit, pretty obvious. You know, the word love is used over 51 times in this epistle. 21 times it is used in chapter 4. And it always refers to the agape love of God. Not the phileo love of God, not the eros love of God, but the agape love of God. That sacrificial, preferential choice of love. And you've heard me say this in the other messages. We become most like God. We become most like Christ when we love with an agape form of love. Sacrificial, preferential we choose to. We do not expect anything back. There's no reciprocation. We love because we choose to love as God chose to love us in Jesus Christ. In 1 John 5.3, just flip over to a chapter. Verse, uh, 1 John 5.3, the apostle says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. True love is reflected in obedience toward God. God has equipped the believer to love as God loves. And therefore, believers are to love one another with that agape love of God. The Lord Jesus Christ in, his, in John's gospel, in John chapter 13, verse 34, hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if anybody says, well, that's just the Apostle John's opinion. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We see Jesus' love toward the disciples before the cross, and it's rather amazing, but we certainly see Jesus' agape love to the disciples after the cross. We see his love toward Peter after Peter had denied him and Peter had failed him and the mercy with which he went back to him. We see Jesus' love to Thomas who doubted him and asked him, hey, go ahead if you want, feel the, the nails in my hands and and stick your hand inside my side. We see that love being poured out against all the disciples who were in hiding for fear of the Jews. And we see that love manifested at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes down, 
The church is born, and now these people who were cowering and quivering are now emboldened by the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as Acts says repeatedly in the early chapters, and I love it, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with all boldness. That was the characteristic of the church. I've entitled today's message, Why Believers Love. Why Believers Love. And, I would want, and, and, and for this message today, I want to focus on the application side of this. In other words, I want to be able to take a look at the text and immediately begin to apply it to ourselves. Many people come to church to acquire knowledge, and that's great. That's great. A lot of people come to church, I want biblical knowledge. Give me more biblical, biblical knowledge. But what's even greater is when we take that biblical knowledge and we apply it and then apply it to our lives and through the application we begin to go and we begin to serve others. And Christian faith, true Christian faith, involves both aspects. It involves biblical knowledge, but that knowledge is translated into Christian service. The agape love of God should cause us as believers, to love God, to love others, and it should become a catalyst for us to serve God. Today's text, I'm going to give you five reasons, five reasons why believers love. And we're going to use not only 1 John as our source, but we're going to use other portions of scriptures. But what we're going to see in the text today and what I'm praying that God is going to bring out today are the five reasons why believers love, and here they are. Number one, believers love because God lives in them. Number two, believers love because they seek to honor God. Number three, believers love because love is at the heart of the Christian witness. Number four, believers love because it yields confidence in salvation. And lastly, number five, believers love because God first loved us. Let's take a look at some of these and let's begin with the first one. Believers love because God lives in them. Look at 1 John 4, 7. The apostle writes, verses 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We studied this text before, and we have seen that the agape love of God is God's preferential love, God's choice to love. And we have read that that love is unmerited. And what I mean by that is God did not love us in response to something in us. God's love toward us is unmerited. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that you did that caused God to respond to you. His offer of love was completely 
unmerited. It was undeserved. It's like grace. It is unmerited favor. It is undeserved favor. Therefore, believers become most like God when we as believers, when we choose to love as God has loved us. Remember, I want you to look at the Scripture from a practical application standpoint. What is the Spirit saying? How should we love as believers? Spearheading this love of God Spearheading this love of God is a devotion to God and to his word. And this becomes evident. It becomes very evident when we are delighting in obeying the word of God. Right? So that that is the spearhead. The spearhead is the word of God. How do we know that God loved us? We know that God loved us because the word of God tells us God loves us. So proper application is not pick and choose. When the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, when the Spirit of God convicts your heart of something, whether it be a sin or a conviction to move forward with something, then what the believer is to do out of love for God is to step forward, is to go and be obedient to that word. One of the manifestations of this is a love for one another in the church. The ability to love others as God has loved us. The believer, listen, the believer is able to do this because John has stated everyone who loves is born of God and he says something else, and knows God. And there is that word again that we see in all throughout this epistle, when you see that K-N-O-W, it is that you know God experientially. It's that you've had that personal experience with God. You've been touched by the grace of God. You've been touched by the love of God. You've been touched by the mercies of God. And John says everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And I think we can take solace in the fact it is God that enables the believer to love. God who is the source of that love. Therefore, the love of God is demonstrated in a love for God, a love for the brethren. It is demonstrated in forgiveness toward one another. It is demonstrated in unity among the brethren. It is demonstrated in the grace of that we show one another. 1 John 3.10, this was several weeks ago. John wrote this. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Notice what else he adds. Nor the one who does not love his brother. Paul in his famous exposition of love in 1 Corinthians 13 he writes this, love is patient. How many times you've heard this at a wedding? And it's totally out of context. He's talking about the love of God. And this is, by the way, Paul using the agape form of the love of God. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous 
Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not become unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Listen, this is only made possible. It is only made possible by God living in the believer through the person of the Holy Spirit. As Paul clearly stated in Romans 5, 5, Paul states, and the hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So we see the first reason there. Believers love why? Because God lives in them. Let's take a look at the second one. Believers love because they seek to honor God. 1 John 4.9 By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. I want you to notice this. John states that God had a reason for manifesting his agape love in the believer. Believers might live through him. Believers seek to honor God in all that they do. Believers are consumed with God, consumed with pleasing God. Believers hunger and thirst for righteousness to be satisfied. Believers are that pure in heart that shall see God. Believers are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and they trust God that all things shall be added unto them, as our Lord said in Matthew 6.33. Believers are to encourage one another. Why? Because they seek to honor God. They want to glorify God. Believers want to exalt God, magnify God, bless God. When we come together as a church on the Lord's Day, what do we come for? We come ultimately to lift up the Lord, to magnify the Lord, to praise the Lord. When we come together in Bible study, when we come together in prayer group, when we come together one-on-one, what are we doing? We're seeking to edify, magnify, glorify God, and we do that in our service to one another. We do that in our love toward one another's, one another. It's the believer's heart that Christ, that God, would be preeminent in them. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 24. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promises faithful, and notice these words the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Man, what a blessing. What an opportunity that we have in the church that we could do that. We could stimulate one another for good deeds. We could encourage one another for good deeds. And those good deeds do what? They glorify us? No, they glorify God because it shows the love of God that has been manifested in our hearts. And in doing so, we seek to honor God. We seek that God would be glorified. The greatest offering that a believer can render to God 
Listen is a heart of love, pure love, unadulterated love and service. It is the denial of ourselves, both our rights and our wrongs. I want to say that again. It's the denial of ourselves, both our rights, those things that we know and we are compelled, and maybe by the written word we can look at and we say, I am right, and both our wrongs as we seek the mercy and the forgiveness of God and the mercy and forgiveness of others. In the agape love, preserving the unity of the body of Christ, in doing that, we honor God. Believers love because we seek to honor God. And we honor God by loving Him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength, and loving others as ourselves, as the Lord Jesus Christ said. Reason number two, believers love because they seek to honor God. Let's take a look at the third point. Believers love because love is at the heart of the Christian witness. And here we're going to the Gospel of John. Chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Where the Lord Jesus Christ says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you have that agape love for one another. Listen, the heart of the Christian message, the heart of the Christian witness is indeed love. This is the distinguishing mark of being a believer in Jesus Christ. And as I stated previously, it is not merely a love for God, but it is a love for others as we have seen in the Lord's commandment to his disciples. As Christians, we extol, we proclaim, don't we, the love of God? When we share the gospel with different people, are we not speaking about that there is a remedy of sin, that there is a remedy to justice, that that remedy to sin and justice is the amazing love of God that was demonstrated by Jesus Christ on the cross, that all who come to him will find forgiveness of sin, right standing with God in new life? As Christians, we extol that. We, we talk so often about what has been demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. As we just read in Romans 12, verses 9 through 11, the Apostle Paul writes this, Let love be without hypocrisy. That Greek word hypocrisy literally means wearing a mask, and it comes from the plays. When somebody in the ancient plays would come, they would put on a mask to take on a character. That's what hypocrisy means. It means wearing a mask. He writes, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. A.W. Tozer wrote these words. 
as we grow in grace, we grow in a love toward all of God's people. Everyone who loves Him, who begot, also loves Him who is begotten of Him, as he quotes from 1 John 5.1. Tozer speaking says this, This means simply that if we love God, we'll love His children. And all true Christian experience will deepen our love for other Christians. I had a great experience this week. Uh, had a person that I had never met before. Um, in person, I had never met. But is a missionary to Cambodia. And uh, I had seen him on, on our prayer calls, on the Zoom calls. And that's the only way I had seen him, but he's in the United States on his deputation right, right now, and he told me, hey, hey, Mark, I'm going to be in Cape Coral, Florida, you know, on my way back to South Carolina. Would, I'd love to come by and see you. I said, all right, man, no problem. Come to my house. And on Thursday, he came. Now, just to give you an idea, they are, the capital of Cambodia is Phnom Penh. They are two hours outside of Phnom Penh, in a very rural village, they chose to go where the gospel had never been heard before. Took two years to learn the language. He's a young man. He's got a family of five with another one in the oven. So another one's going to be born soon. So six little blonde, as blonde as you could get, man. Platinum blonde hair. He said the uh, Cambodians call his children dolls because they sell in the market base, I guess like little China dolls, and it's the only place where they see blonde hair. So they walk up to the children, and they touch their hair. They want to see how it is. My point with all of this is simply this. Here's a person I never met before. Never touched him, never seen him, never did anything. Showed up at my house on Thursday, and it was as if I knew him my entire life. We stayed and we had dinner. The kids went in the pool. We talked. We had a time of prayer. They sang a song to me, the children. And it was just a beautiful time. And I, I, I said, I'm blown away by the love of God. Right? Because even though I knew this brother from a Zoom call, meeting him face to face was as if I knew him my entire life. And there was the love of God manifested. And I know you've had that experience where you met another brother, another sister, and the love of God connects you and it binds you together. Why? Because the love of God lives in us as believers. And we seek to honor God with that. And it is at the very heart of the Christian witness. The Apostle Peter wrote to the church in the dispersion in 1 Peter 1.22. This is a church that is persecuted, a church that is dispersed all throughout. He writes this. Since you have an obedience to the truth, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another. From the heart, he says. For you have been born again of seed, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and the abiding word of God. Look how he 
Peter ties it all together. Bring it all together. The word of God is the testimony. You've learned of this love of Christ. You have been touched by an imperishable seed through the new birth that is available in Jesus Christ. So now bring it all together. Bring the agape love of God. And by the way, Peter uses the agape form of love there. Bring the love of God all together. Fervently love one another. You know, you could be nice to somebody but not love them, right? But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying be nice to everybody. He's saying in the body of Christ, you who are being persecuted, you who are dispersed throughout the whole world, come together and fervently love one another because you have been born again in Christ. Believers in Christ love because we've been born again with that seed. And it's not a perishable seed. That seed is a love for God, a love for the brethren, and we're able to do this through the Holy Spirit that lives within the believers as he ministers to us the word of God. On Tuesday night's Bible study, I forgot who it was, but somebody asked the question. They said, well, you know, how do I keep doing this? You know, I fail, I do this. I said, look, there's three critical components. Number one, there's prayer. You gotta be in communion with God. You gotta be in prayer. There's two, the study of the Word of God. Don't merely read the Word of God. Study the Word of God. What is the writer saying? What is the intent of the passage? And number three, communion in the church. This is a trilogy. This is a triad. Just like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he has given us these three disciplines. Ignore these three disciplines, and you're going to run into problems. If you don't know what the Word of God says, then you're not going to know the person of God, the character of God. How does God react? And so you'll be, you'll be suspect to every wind of doctrine that comes along, chasing this, chasing that. If you don't spend time in prayer with the Lord, you're not going to know the person of God. You're not going to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You're not in communion with God. You're not praising God. And I say this time and time again, please remember, please remember that prayer is praise and worship. You don't just do praise and worship when you come to church on Sunday and you sing a few songs. But when you're locked in your prayer room, when you're down on your knees, when you're alone with God and you're wrestling with God, right then and there, you're in worship of that God. And then thirdly is the church. The church that Ephesians, Paul tells the Ephesians, Christ died for. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for him. To disregard the church is to disregard Christ. And if you put these three together, it is the basis. It is not the pinnacle, but it is the basis. Because there's other things that enter in too. Serving one another ministering to one another, proclaiming the gospel, coming alongside those that are downtrodden, coming alongside those that need help. 
Listen, believers can love because God lives in us and it is that love that is the heart of the Christian witness. So reason three, why do believers love? Well, believers love because love is at the very heart of the Christian witness. Let's look at the fourth one. Believers love because it yields confidence in salvation. 1 John 4.16 And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Because the love of God has been shed abroad in believers' heart, as Paul says in Romans 5, 5, and because the believer has come to believe the love of God, the one who abides in that love can have confidence that they are abiding in Christ. Look at 1 John 4, 17. This is a great verse. By this, love is perfected. That means love is consummated. It has reached its pinnacle. It is completed. So where you see perfected, it's consummated. It has reached its pinnacle. He says love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence. And by the way, that confidence means a free and fearless confidence. It's a cheerful courage. So he says that we may have confidence, where? In the day of judgment. Because as he is, the he being God, so also are we in this world. John goes on to tell us because of the manifestation of the love of God, the Christian can be free from self-condemnation and free from the fear of the judgment of God. Oh my goodness, isn't that a great thing? I want to be free from self-condemnation. I want to be free from God's condemnation. Paul dealt with that in Romans uh, Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, I want to be free of that condemnation from God. But I could also be free from my own self-condensation, from my own self-loathing when I look back on my life and I hate the sin and I hate the way I used to be before Christ. I could be free from that. But he goes on to say we could be free from the judgment of God. And such living results in confidence in the believer's relationship with God. Is it not true that when you're walking right with God, when you're in step, when you're practicing those disciplines and you're doing that, you have peace with God, but if you are to fall back into sin, if you're in some manner of sin, what happens? All that confidence goes away, does it not? The love of God testifies, listen, it testifies to believer and unbeliever alike. And this abiding in God gives us confidence. God's love has been manifested in the believer, listen, as Peter says, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. It is in living out this love, a love for God, a love for others, that produces confidence of our salvation. So reason four, 
believers love. Why? Because it yields confidence in salvation. And then the last point here. Believers love because God first loved us. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. You know, when I looked at this verse, it's not the first time I've ever seen this verse before, but when I looked at this verse, what immediately came into my mind was, oh, the glory and the mercy of God. We love because He first loved us. That our God, holy and just, would love the believer with an eternal, everlasting love. What do we know from Scriptures about God's love? We know the following, right? We know God loves so much that He what? That He gave. And we know that God loves so much that He demonstrated His own love while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. And we know that God loves so much that he saved us, as Paul says in Titus, not according to deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. God's love for the believer was determined in eternity past. It was determined in eternity past. And it was not in response to anything in us. God had determined God had planned, and this plan involved offering his son Jesus Christ as a guilt offering. He would become the penalty for our sin. But know this, believer, God's love was not random. Know this. It was not random. But rather, God's love was specific. Very specific. It was so specific that if you are in Christ, you can know that your name was written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world. That's how specific it was. That's how preferential it was. That's how God chose it to be. Salvation was given to you. And Jesus speaking on all all those in John chapter 10, all those who the Father had given him, makes this statement. He says, No one shall snatch them out of my Father's hand, for the Father who has given them to me is greater than all. So if you're a believer in Christ, if you're in the agape love of God, you have been given to Christ by the Father. And guess what? No one's going to snatch you out. Nobody's going to snatch you out of the Father's hands. Therefore, brother or sister, we must remember we love because God first loved us. Then in light of that, I talked about the application side of it. In light of that, let us be proactive in our love. Let us be proactive in our love for God, in our love for our church, in our service for the kingdom, and in our love for one another. Why? Because believers love. Because God first loved us. So you're probably thinking to yourself, what's this have to do with me? So whoop-de-doo. Thank you for the lesson. 
What does this have to do with me? Well, it has a lot. We've seen five reasons why believers love. Believers love, one, because God lives in them. Two, because they seek to honor God. Three, love is at the heart of the Christian witness. Four, it yields confidence in salvation. And five, God first loved us. And as we studied in 1 John, regarding this agape love of God, the preferential love of God, the forgiving love of God, the love which God loved the believer in Christ when we were sinners, then we, if we are believers in Christ, listen, we must reconcile this truth. We must. We must live in this love. We must demonstrate this love in the church and to others. We must be consumed by this love. As I previously mentioned, if our confession is that Christ lives in us, then we can choose, we can choose to love as Christ. We can choose to honor God with this love. We can choose to demonstrate this love as our Christian witness. We can choose to have confidence in our salvation and choose to love God and choose to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love the lost as Christ first loved us. Listen, let our commitment match our confession. If we confess that we are believers in Christ, if we confess that we are born again, if we confess that we are saved, if we confess that we love God and God loves us, then it's incumbent upon us that our commitment match that confession. And I'm going to close with this verse, 1 John 4.21. This commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Let this truth be evident in all of us. Amen? Let's bow in a word of prayer.